All right. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro Podcast. I am your host, Toby Passman. On the show with me today, we have a special guest, Dr. Michelle May. Um, Dr. Michelle May is a former, former family physician, a recovered yo-yo dieter, and founder of Am I Hungry? Mindful Eating Programs and Training uh, at amihungry.com and author of the Eat What You Love, Love What You Eat book series that teaches mindful eating to help individuals resolve mindless and emotional eating and senseless yo-yo dieting to live the vibrant life they crave. She's also a faculty associate in the Department of Psychology at Arizona State University, where she, she teaches mindful eating. And she's been a, a guest on dozens of podcasts and summits and interviewed for CNN Health, Discovery Health Channel, Dr. Oz Fitness, uh, and many more. I could keep going, but uh, that'll suffice for the introduction. So, Michelle, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Nice to be here, Toby. Absolutely. So, you know what I want to uh, kind of start off with, can you sort of define, uh, how would you define mindful eating? I think that's a great place to start because the number of hits on the term mindful eating on Google has absolutely exploded over the last few years. When I first started telling people I did mindful eating, they kind of looked at me and of course now there's lots. And when there's an explosion like that, there's also a lot of myths and confusion and co-opting of the term. So for me, I think mindful eating as a simple definition is eating with intention and attention. So it's really about bringing our awareness and purpose to the act of eating. Now, some people think of that in terms of eating in silence or chewing your food 32 times and savoring your, your bites. I, that might be a little bit of it. I don't, I don't believe in counting bites, of course, or counting chews. But I do think that bringing awareness to the act of eating can help us bring more pleasure, but it can also help us resolve long-standing issues that we've had in our relationship with food. And it, it seems to go against kind of the uh, how how we usually approach eating, right? Because oftentimes we're you know we're, we're eating in front of the television. We're we're just kind of doing the opposite of mindful eating, right? We're just kind of mindlessly consuming stuff. Does so? Does that? It seems like this this sort of approach is probably contrary to to the way the relationship that that people probably usually have with food. Is that yeah. kind of accurate to say? I think it is accurate to say. I think our relationship with food is complicated. In fact, many people don't even realize they have a relationship with food. But if you think of your relationship with food like you do with your relationship with other important people in your lives, do you try to have conversations with them while you're distracted by watching television or driving or working or talking on the phone or scrolling through social media? I mean, if you did, you wouldn't have that engagement and that awareness of what was going on. And probably neither one of you would feel very connected and good about the relationship after that conversation. So really the awareness that you can bring to the act of eating can help you with all kinds of issues. So it's not just that we're distracted while we eat, that's part of it. But most of the people that I can really help have 
I'm, I'm going to go so far as to say a disordered relationship with food. Many times people in our culture, which I'll call diet culture, have taught us that we should be weighing and measuring and counting and obsessing about our food and our nutrition. And so people vacillate from one extreme to the other. Either they're completely obsessed with everything they eat or they choose to just not pay any attention at all. Somewhere in the middle is awareness about what we're eating and not just what we're eating, but why. Why am I eating in the first place? When we start to get to curiosity and questions like that, then we can start to understand not only why we do what we do, but if we want to change it, how to go about changing it as well. Right. Okay. So tell me a little about like your, your kind of entry into this whole, I guess, field of mindful eating. So, so you, uh, I was just seeing on your bio, so you earned your, your bachelor's of psych, uh, your bachelor's degree in psychology at ASU. So did you sort of come into this from more of a, like, like psychological approach and then kind of combined with the nutrition? You shake your head no, now. Oh, I got into this because I, like many of the patients I met later in my medical practice, had started struggling with yo-yo dieting at a pretty young age. And what I discovered is that lots and lots of people have done lots and lots of diets and keep ending up in the same place where they're struggling with food, they haven't improved their well-being, they go back to the same old patterns again and again. So First, I had to resolve my own issues around yo-yo dieting and body image and uh, you know, chronically worrying about what I was eating. When I did that through the process that I later identified as mindful eating, I realized it made such a difference for me that that's really what caused me to want to go study and learn and then eventually teach and write and talk about mindful eating to help other people too. Got it. Okay. Uh, and tell me, uh, can you just kind of define yo-yo dieting? Yeah. So the term is somewhat self-evident, but I think it's important because the metaphor of a yo-yo is perfect for this because you're either wound up tight, trying to be good and follow all the rules, or you're unraveling back down toward the bottom, not paying any attention again, or feeling out of control. And so a lot of people vacillate from, I'm in control, I'm out of control. I'm in control, I'm out of control. The, the classic example of that is people leading into the holidays, lots of food, lots of events, lots of opportunities to eat, and then they jump into the new year with this really rigid, strict plan of how they're going to improve their diet and exercise. So that's the classic yo-yo. And of course, we've all heard the statistics that by February, the majority of people will have long forgotten any resolution they made. So that image, that metaphor of the yo-yo helps us see this. But what's really important about it is that a yo-yo doesn't stop in the middle. You're either going up or you're going down. And that's very typical of yo-yo dieting as well. I mean, unless you know some fancy walk the dog trick, which a few people do, but most of us don't. And the vast majority of people who start out on any kind of a, you know, a meal plan or eating plan or diet 
will find themselves back in the same place that they were before they started, if not worse off. So what we want to do with mindful eating is to obliterate that metaphor and turn that yo-yo into a pendulum instead. So when you have a pendulum, you know that that pendulum has a certain amount of energy. And so if you keep giving energy to restriction and obsession and counting and weighing and measuring, you're actually building up more force. And as soon as you can't hold that pendulum up anymore and you let it go, of course it's going to swing all the way to the other side and you'll be back in that same overeating pattern. When you stop giving that restriction and then that compensatory overeating so much of your energy, then your pendulum will find a smaller arc in the middle. So instead of trying to be in control and then losing control, you learn how to be in charge. And that's really what mindfulness is all about, in my opinion, is when you are aware, then you actually get to make conscious choices. It's not so important what the choices are. What's important is that you're choosing instead of mindlessly going through habitual behaviors again and again. Does that make sense, Toby? It does. It does. And you know, um, Michelle, what it reminds me of, I mean, where I was going to go with this is, is really, you know, the, the sort of biohacking community. I don't know how much awareness you have of, of that, but that's certainly like, uh, I've had several people in the biohacking community on, on my podcast and I'm personally into all of that sort of self quantification and, and supplementation and tracking and all that stuff. But, you know, it, it does, I think, bring up a good point that, that it, I've certainly taken it to that extent where it's like I'm just measuring like everything and trying to figure out like, you know, am I feeling this way because I, you know, didn't get enough sleep or was it because I ate this or was it because I forgot to take this supplement? And like it, it can become very obsessive. Um, yes. yes. And I, and I get it. I, I never, I, I, this, I resolved all of that long before that was a thing, but I definitely understand what it feels like to wake up thinking about what am I going to eat today? What am I going to do today? How, you know, what did I do yesterday? I mean, I understand that kind of, of, of attempt to sort of micromanage our biology and our psychology and everything else around us. The truth is that we were born with the instinctive ability to manage ourselves without all of that detail. And I'm not, you know, people can do whatever they want. It's fine with me. But if someone is finding that they're expending a lot of energy thinking about these things, then my question to them is, why did you start doing this in the first place? What was the point? What was your intention? And often it was, I want to feel better. I want to have more energy. I want to live a fuller life. I want to have more fun. I want to engage more in my relationships. I want to live longer. And so when I hear that, I wonder, is, is the purpose of our lives to micromanage all of these things, or is our purpose to live more vibrantly? And if we're using so much energy micromanaging things that in actuality, once we learn a different way to relate and think about our food and our physical activity and our self-care, we don't have to spend so much energy doing it. It happens very naturally, very organically, 
the way that perhaps a baby cries when they're hungry and they need to be fed and when they're tired, they sleep. So again, it, it's a different, it's a completely different philosophy, but I, I see and meet a lot of people who are spending more, a higher percentage or a higher proportion of their time worrying about these things. And I wonder what they could be doing with that time and energy instead. Right. Right. So if I'm understanding kind of your, your philosophy correctly, it's, it's sort of like, um, you know, not necessarily that someone could only find success on, on one certain diet or eating one specific, you know, style of food or whatever. But if you, if you just eat in a mindful way, um, people could, could achieve good health, uh, eating probably greatly different, um, things. Is that, is that kind of how you see it? That's absolutely true. And if you look at the history of diets, which of course just means a pattern of eating, if you look at the history of diets over the centuries, and if you look at cultures across the world, there are lots of different patterns of eating that work perfectly well for individuals. So I think that what mindfulness can bring to the table, pun intended, is that it allows us to figure out what works for us. That might require some curiosity, it might require some experimentation. But what I know doesn't work very well is when we become very rigid in uh, beliefs about good foods and bad foods, and we become very much all or nothing, then we find ourselves in a very small lane of what we can eat and what we shouldn't eat and having to expend a tremendous amount of energy figuring that out. The truth is that our bodies function well and have functioned well for centuries, fortunately better and better as we get better at medicine and, and more knowledgeable about different aspects of this, is that we have the ability to experiment with these different ideas and see how they fit for us and how we feel. But we do pretty well with some simple principles of balance, variety, and moderation. So whatever that looks like for an individual, balance, variety, and moderation allows me personally and the people I work with enough flexibility to go spend their energy living their lives and not obsessing about whether or not they're going to find anything to eat at the restaurant or the party that they're attending, hopefully when we get back to that sort of thing soon. Why do you think, uh, I guess just in your personal opinion, why do you think that there are that we live in a day and age where it's so extremist one way or the other it's so as you're saying kind of this yo-yo of it being either super rigid or or you just completely kind of uh, uh fall off the wagon and just are eating whatever why why do you think it's it's so uh why is diet so like divisive i guess I, mean, I love that question because i think it gets to the core of what we're talking about here so if we were to, and I'll use my personal experience um, as, as an example, but everybody will have their own. I started this, this journey, if you want to call it that, of yo-yo dieting when I was much younger, and I somehow got the message that my body was not acceptable or okay the way that it was. And so I 
no, I, I think I was initially looking at magazine articles and, you know, eat this, not that sort of things and trying different meal plans, eventually joined a popular weight loss program. But here's the problem that we are evolutionarily wired to resist that kind of intervention and micromanagement of our eating. In other words, and we're talking, for me, it was, it was about weight loss at the beginning, and it is for many of the people who start down this path. Well, you know, your body was really evolved to protect you against a, a drastic change in weight or a drastic change in your eating. And so when you start to eat less than your body needs, at first you may see changes in your weight, but of course some of those changes may be water or muscle mass, things that maybe aren't really what you intended. Over time, even if you're losing fat, the, it may set off this whole chain reaction of physiological changes that are designed to protect you from dying because your body doesn't realize you're doing it on purpose, correct? So you will start to, for one thing, for example, you will become more attuned to food. You will notice food more. Food may actually taste better to you. Your attention, your thoughts may be more on food. When you eat food, your body will be more efficient at storing food, You'll, your metabolism will lower. And so what happens is that we have this whole biopsychosocial um, event, chain of events that occurs when we start to restrict our eating that actually cause it to backfire, especially if your goal is weight loss. And so you begin to think you're doing the right thing or the helpful thing, and then suddenly you find yourself back at the same place you were, even though you're trying your very best or you plateau or you can't do it anymore because it becomes boring or you're having strong cravings, other things are going on. And so then you end up in this yo-yo pattern that we were talking about before. And so that makes you susceptible to thinking, well, it worked for a while and then it didn't work, so I must be doing something wrong. And then you look for the next eating plan and then the next one and the next one. So what we have then is this, this diet culture that is feeding, it's literally a feeding frenzy off people who think they just haven't found the right diet or don't have enough willpower or somehow can achieve health and wellness through looking toward outside experts to help guide them. When in fact, what it's really doing is causing us to expend so much energy on something that when we were an infant, we knew perfectly how to do. We couldn't do it because we were, we were reliant on other adults and caregivers, but, but our bodies knew how to do it. And some of us can remember a time when we were really young when we knew how to do that. We lose track of that. And so because of this pattern of, of belief that I should just be able to follow this eating plan and then have good health and all of these other things and then begin to struggle with it, that's really, I think, where we start to see these extremes. What mindful eating can bring to us is the ability to say, yeah, I feel better when I eat less 
fill in the blank. Or I feel better when I take X supplement. Or I feel better if I don't eat before I go to bed. And at the same time, we can have that awareness that when I eat chocolate, um, when I really want to, it brings me pleasure and enjoyment. I didn't do anything bad. Or if I have a dessert, I didn't do anything bad. And because I didn't do anything bad, I don't have to finish the rest of the cake and get rid of it so it's not tempting me tomorrow, right? Like it's, it's this much more balanced, relax. I don't even want to say relaxed because that will strike an image for some people that no, 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 you should really be worrying about these things. A much more natural, calm approach to making decisions about eating and physical activity and self-care that aren't taking up so much of our time and energy. Okay. I want to ask you, what's your, what's your opinion on sort of the, the idea that willpower or the debate, I guess, whether willpower, because you brought up, you, you mentioned willpower, and that's actually, I was going to ask about that. Do you, like, there's kind of the debate whether it's a, a finite or infinite sort of resource, right? Where there's certain research I've seen where if you believe that willpower is kind of an infinite resource than it than it is whereas if you believe that it is more of kind of this limited thing that you run out of then you're more kind of apt to, to actually run out of it does that do you think that applies at all with with what we're talking about with diet or what's, well, what's your take on that yeah, no, I love that you brought that because I don't even think I used the word willpower. I might have, but it what I said clearly conjured conjured up that image of willpower. And when I think about when I when I used to diet and how, you know, just even the word willpower, I would I would say a better word is won't power because most of what we're talking is about what you're not supposed to do, right? What you're not supposed to eat, and that idea that we're going to go around managing our lives through this control and won't or willpower is, is really what I'm talking about here. I'm saying that we don't need willpower when you are managing your eating mindfully and with awareness and freedom of choice and balance and sort of that inside out approach, you don't require willpower because you see a dessert and you say, I want it, I don't want it. Or, oh, it looks good. It's a feast for the eyes. I'm not even hungry right now. And then you move on to your next activity. It's the restriction and deprivation and avoidance of foods that gives the food the power. We actually end up placing certain foods up on a pedestal which is why it requires willpower to avoid them. Cake is delicious. Three pieces of cake, not so much, because by the third one, you're not tasting it and you're not going to probably feel very good afterward. So awareness of this, bringing your attention, not just to the act of eating, but to your body's response to eating, helps you make decisions about eating that don't require won't power. It's simply decision-making. It's that, do, do you notice how, for those who are seeing video, I went from clenched hands to an open hand. It's not about avoiding, it's about deciding. Okay. And in terms of, I think something uh, 
like fasting is something that, I mean, what, what's your take on fasting? Cause that's something that I think for a lot of people, you know, have to employ quite a lot of willpower to try to do that. But now that's kind of one of the kind of trending, not to say that it's new, obviously it's very, people have been fasting for, it seems like eternity. Um, but what's your take on fasting? Cause that's, that's something that, you know, are you're in, a, in the midst of a fast, your body's probably mul multiple times telling you, you know, eat like, but you're sort of exercising that control and, and not eating. So does that, can yeah, that work with mindful eating? Can, can you do like mindful fasting or how does yeah, that? I don't, um, I don't think it's my job to tell people what they should or shouldn't eat. Um, I take my responsibility very seriously to help people recognize how their body responds to certain things. So if someone is fasting for spiritual reasons, or they find that it helps bring them into focus, or it helps them with some aspect of their ability to, you know, pay more attention or whatever, I see that. When people are fasting as a means to control or controlling their weight, then I, th I think that that's a bit problematic. And I, I don't think it works very well long-term for most people. If someone does it and it's working well for them, fine. They wouldn't, be, they wouldn't be seeing, you know, they wouldn't be looking for help from me because it's working just fine for them. However, if people have to keep returning to it over and over and over again to manage their weight, then I would say it's probably not working very well. And this is, you could fill in any diet or any use that any trend or fad for fasting. It could be intermittent fasting. It could be, uh, it could be Atkins. It could be Weight Watchers. It could be keto. It could be paleo. You could fill in any blank. And I would just say that, yes, these are very trendy things to do. But ultimately, as I used to tell my patients when I was still in practice, if you can't imagine yourself doing this every day for the rest of your life, then probably doing it even temporarily isn't going to make the difference that you're really looking for. What I'm on this planet to do is change the way that people think about eating so that it's no longer a battle, but it's something that is a joyful, uh, productive, part of their lives where eating fuels living. Because I think our culture has flip-flopped this. I think we spend a lot of our lives thinking about eating or not eating or what we're eating. I think there is a, an appropriate amount of attention that that should get. But when it starts to get out of proportion, then I think we really have to get curious about why we're spending so much attention on, on something that really can be managed quite effortlessly and quite lovely. Well said. Uh, whose, whose job, I mean, because obviously there's, there's people coming at it from different angles, like I think I read on your bio, so you're a former physician, um, and obviously you have nutritionists, you have life coaches, you, you have people talking about diet and nutrition from all these sort of different angles. How, how do you think that we can kind of collectively get more to, because it, it makes a lot of sense to me, the, the approach that you're talking about in, in relation to food, because it's not, it's not necessarily the science of studying, you know, what food is going to activate, what enzyme and the, you know, it's, it's more of 
kind of the, the mindset approach, but it makes a lot of sense. Do you feel that, that eventually we'll get to a point where like medical schools would be teaching something like that or is oh, that too far fetched? I, I hope it's not far fetched. That's a, that's a real fantasy of mine that we would actually have the opportunity to teach this in medical schools. I teach at ASU where I, where I teach some pre-med students. I teach a lot of dietetics students and, and exercise physiology students. And they come to the class thinking that I'm going to teach them about nutrition. I could, but that's not what they're there for. I talk to them a lot more about why and how we eat than what and how much we eat. Because ultimately, the idea that we could give our clients and our patients actual skills for making decisions no matter what shows up is really important because what we're doing then is we're teaching the client or the patient how to be the expert in themselves. So it's much less of an authoritarian way of approaching our own health and well-being and much more of a guide kind of way. So for example, in, in our program, Am I Hungry? I teach people six questions to ask to help them decide about their eating. And when, once they have these really six simple questions in mind, they can make decisions about their eating, whether they're on vacation, whether they're at work, whether it's the weekend, the weekdays, it doesn't matter what's going on. They have a series of questions that help them make decisions about food from the inside out. It's not me telling them what they should or shouldn't do or requiring them to to keep grabbing on to willpower to, to avoid foods that look really delicious to them. Right. Yeah. That, that, I mean, I think that approach makes a lot of sense. So tell me about like, uh, I, I guess, what are your plans uh, in terms of like uh, sort of uh, teaching people this approach or implementing this approach? It sounds like, I mean, I guess, you know, getting on podcasts and stuff like this is a great way to, to kind of share these ideas where but, uh where do you kind of do you see yourself like ever like writing a writing books on this sort of stuff or where, where i already have it's funny that i'm here i i've actually been teaching this for 21 years um i started my company am i hungry uh, 21 years ago and i've trained over 700 health and wellness professionals to offer mindful eating programs in their practices and communities and workplaces and I've written 12 books and workbooks and, and, uh, and guides to help, help facilitators know how to teach this to other people. So for me, the idea, the opportunity to come on a podcast is really about spreading the message a little bit further. Because as you have already talked about several times, there is a lot of noise out there about what we should and shouldn't eat. You, you just have to turn on the news and you're going to get nutrition advice. But I think what we're missing in our culture is a much more common sense approach that takes us right back to our ability to eat when we're hungry, mostly, stop when we're satisfied, mostly, eat what we love, which is the title of my book is book series is eat what you love, love what you eat, to eat what you love and to love what you eat and to pay attention to how it affects your body. So ultimately, 
this massive information that's available to us through social media and the internet and other places, I think has overwhelmed our ability to trust ourselves to know how to do this, but it can be relearned. And that's really my mission on this planet now is to really help people learn that they don't need to continue that painful yo-yo cycle, but that there's a possibility of finding a smaller arc between the extremes that is sustainable and actually feels good. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Michelle, I want to really thank you for coming on the show today. If people want to uh, like learn more about all of these uh, things that you just uh, talked about, where would you direct them to? Well, a general place would be our website, amihungry.com, A-M-I-H-U-N-G-R-Y.com. But if you are interested in the six questions that I talked about, that's in the first chapter of my book series, Eat What You Love, Love What You Eat. And I'd be happy to give you a free download there. Just go to amihungry.com slash chapter one. Spell out chapter and the number one. And you can learn the six questions in the mindful eating cycle. And it'll give you a really good sense for what kind of a eating pattern you're following. And it'll also help you decide whether this is an approach that does make sense for you. If it doesn't, there are tens of thousands of other plans and diets you could follow. But if you're looking for a different way of thinking about eating, I think you'll know by the end of that first chapter whether this makes sense. Awesome. And I'll be sure to uh, put a link to that in the show notes uh, for people who are listening. Uh, and um, so I wanted to really thank you for coming on the show. Um, if people, uh, the listeners, if you guys enjoyed the show, go ahead and like and subscribe to our YouTube channel or Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro. Uh, you can also find audio versions of the podcast available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else audio podcasts are available. Michelle, again, thanks so much for your time and sharing your ideas. Really enjoyed the discussion today. Me too, Toby. Thank you. Absolutely.